Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we're going to be talking a lot about real estate. And we have a pretty amazing founder, uh, a founder that I've uh, known for quite a bit. And, uh, and I think that we're all going to learn a lot. I mean, a lot of really interesting stories here that, that he's going to be sharing with us. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ben Miller. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So born and raised in, in Washington, D.C. So how was life growing up there? Yeah, I mean, Washington, D.C., everything's it was a political town, but it's really a real estate town. Uh, and I come from a real estate family, spent a uh, whole life in real estate. And what's interesting about that is that I remember in, in the late 80s and the early 90s when the SNL crisis happened and the, the real estate industry blew up worse than 2008, way worse. And... Um, I saw my father have to deal with that. And I, I just think it gave me a, a really interesting longer term perspective, like the kind of pattern recognition you get from growing up in, in something. Um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's been really uh, informative to, to my whole career. So what did you get perhaps from, from maybe like seeing your parents in, in, or your family in this field and, and, and building the business? I mean, what were some of the key lessons that you got? Yeah, I mean, I was so lucky because my father is all, as an entrepreneur and he, I watched him get ulcers. I mean, in, in, in early 90, 1991 and 1992, there was no money. The financial industry had collapsed. He, like all, it used to be that lenders um, could call your loans whenever they wanted, called demand loans. They're not really common anymore. And so when the crisis happened, they called all the good loans first. So he had, you know, I don't know how many, $800 million of loans called on him one day. So he, had he remember he told me his net worth was negative hundreds of millions because everything was also personally guaranteed back then, which is not wow. much the case anymore. And just watching him struggle through that and seeing how much a crisis, basically the crisis is what determines the success of any financial company, any fintech. It, the crises are the biggest challenges and opportunities for anybody in the financial industry. Absolutely. I mean, those those moments, you know, definitely in those tough moments is when you really learn, you know, and you get to 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 grow as a as a human being. And you know, I'm sure that 
that you've had, you know, some of those moments that we'll talk, you know, about them as well. But in your case, you know, like right after, uh, you know, school and all of that, you went into private equity. And then right after you did a little bit of real estate with with the family. So so what were some of those things that that you really, you know, experienced being on the perhaps investment side and then on the on the development side when it came to real estate? Yeah, so from 2000 to 2010, sort of had like the, the, the first part of my career, you know, there, the whole idea was, oh, if you can work with the big institutions, the big private equity funds, that's, that's how, that's the key to, to growing the business, growing, scaling. And then in 2008, they all blew up. I mean, I, I had, we had hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate deals that blew up with our, our, part, our partners and our lenders went bankrupt. The multi-billion-dollar companies, the companies worth you know two hundred fifty billion dollars, were the ones that went went bankrupt, and it was so it was the opposite of what you think it was like topsy-turvy world because you, you think that you're the little guy and they're the big guy, and then it just flips, and it and and just dealing with that through two thousand eight and the and the stress of it and having to lay people off and having to you know go through like we had to do like we buy our projects back out of bankruptcy because the partners ownership in them were held by um held by basically a bankrupt financial institution and so it was uh that i mean that basically completely changed my opinion of the financial industry it ended up very much like an emperor has no clothes view of uh big finance and you know i mean personally i believe that like it's going to happen again it happens every seven to 10 years, it's like part of their design actually to blow up every seven to 10 years. It's like they're misconstructed. And once you realize that you sort of like, I guess an interesting lesson Alejandro is like, if you're going to start a business, pick a really big problem. Don't find a solution. A solution, once you've solved it, it's over, right? But if you have a really big problem that probably will, will outlast your life, you can keep finding opportunities inside of that. And so like the, the, the fundamental problem with finance and the, the agency middleman dynamics of, of how they're constructed is, is such a multi-trillion dollar opportunity and, and obviously challenge. Uh, that's like what I came out of my first decade of, of work learning. And obviously at that point, I mean, when when everything blew up, it was uh, really that moment when you encountered the problem that really led to to fundraise. So, so tell us about what that process was and and how you incubated, you know, like this this concept and 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 really bringing the company to life. It's so funny when you when you come up with an idea that's like um, that's actually novel, which which you know I, I'm not. The, I'm not saying that I came up with some great idea, but the idea of you know, using the internet to, to change how the financial industry works and 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 basically building around individual rather than institutions. When I first went to like uh, basically Wall Street or like the major players, they just thought I was a joke. They was like, "That's crazy. That's so silly." And I remember going to the. I, I got I got a meeting through a connection to the probably the second most powerful law firm in the country that represents like all the investment banks, everyone's heard of them. And so I went to the top of their, their, their skyscraper uh, in in Condon Ask building in in Times Square. And I met with like the head of their 
securities practice and the head of their real estate practice. And I have like in this conference room looking over the New York skyline and I'm pitching them on how like the system's broken. And there's like, we have to come up with a new way that like where people are at the center of it, not like big institutions that, that blah, 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 you know, all of the things that I thought were was wrong with the system. And when I finished this sort of impassioned pitch, there was a sort of dead silence. And then the, the guy responded with like, well, like why would you bother with a little guy? Like it just didn't seem like a good idea to them. It just seemed like a, I mean, a bad idea to them. I remember thinking like at first walking out, I mean, just devastated, like, oh my God, this is like, this idea is not a good idea. And, and like, it wasn't until I got down the hundred story building to the bottom of the, you know, on the elevator where I realized like, oh, this is amazing. Like they don't get it. Like there's like people protesting in, in, the, in front of their building, Occupy Wall Street, and they think there's nothing wrong with the system. Like, and that's what I think is so, this is also something about technology. You learn about technology. So like incumbent businesses, they can't help but build the sector around themselves. So the financial industry is built around them, around the middle, basically the middleman, the, the agent. And every great technology business is built around the customer. That's what like, you know, Facebook's built around the individual, around the customer. They want to own the customer. Amazon wants to own the customer. And that's not how the financial industry is built at all. Um, and so it's like just completely uh, uh, antithetical or, or unintuitive to them. And so I just didn't get it. And that's that's basically like that. It took me a long time, our team a long time to figure out how to create a system that could scale and actually threaten sort of create an alternative to the, to the status quo financial uh, solution. So, so in that regard, Ben, so what ended up being the business model so that the people that are listening get it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that like, I came away from this, that, so that so my personal mission is to remake the financial industry, just kind of like every, this is what I saw from my father in the early 90s, like every 20 or 30 years, the financial industry actually completely changes itself, completely re, uh, remakes itself. And I think it's time, it's high time uh, for that to happen. Uh, but in order to do it, you have to have, be independent. You can't be beholden to it. It's just sort of kind of obvious. But if you're, if, if all the capital comes from that system, you, you can't actually be different than that system. And so we we raise our money directly from individuals, you know, through our mobile apps, from you know, through the website. And um, you know, we have I think 150,000 investors, like a million customers, and <laughs> and um, and that is. Like that is when I talk to real estate private equity funds, that they think that's they can't believe it. They can't believe we have raised like you know billions of dollars and we and we deploy it into real estate. And so the the model is to give people, individuals, the same sort of product or and, and return profile as like a blackstone, but just co- to collapse the whole sort of financial supply chain. So like Charles Schwab, Blackstone. The sponsor, everything, everything collapsed into a single, single service, like a private equity as a service that is like a, a, on a technology backbone, which allows you to basically cut the cost by like a tenth to it by like a to a tenth of it, and um, and deliver essentially real estate private equity or, or private private market returns and product to to an individual that previously did, didn't have access, like they 
people have access to stocks, bonds, but not to the private markets. And we're going to change that. So, so obviously for something like this, you need some capital really to, to develop things. And, and I know that there's a really interesting story there. But before we, we go into this, into this, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Uh, well, we, so we raised a billion and a half dollars of equity. Uh, and our customers actually own the platform like Vanguard. We, the, the Vanguard, you know, if you're an investor in Vanguard, you also get to own part of Vanguard. So we've, so we, so, uh, so we have like a different, we're different model. It's differently constructed. We don't have to go raise venture money. Um, and we're not beholden to like a sort of traditional, uh, financial industry. Got it. So, so then in this case, you know, one of the first tranches of money that, that you actually raised for the business, you know, this was the, um, early on. Uh, included a flight to China. So tell us about this experience. Yeah, so so we 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 got to this model, um, the sort of Vanguard model. But we in order to get there, we did need like sort of seed capital or like a Series A. And um, you know, I self we self funded it for the beginning. But sort of what happened was I got this like LinkedIn invite one day from some company I never heard of called Renren, which was you know turned out to be the Facebook of China, and. Um, I almost didn't even like take the invite. So I was like, what is this? And, uh, you know, the CEO comes in, he's just like, he's totally nonchalant, wearing t shirt and jeans. Um, and I, he and I just like have a conversation, like, which is an hour, we're just talking about the business and what I think about it. And um, he walks out. I don't think about it again until I get an email. And I say, what, what, what terms would you want to have for us to invest in the company? And I, 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 was, I hadn't really like thought about that. And so I just sort of named my terms, um, the amount of money we have, the, the, the kind of control we thought we needed to deliver the right product. Um, and it was like an email, just like, okay, we need like $35 million uh, founding shares. And I went down the list and he just wrote back, okay. And I was like, wait a second, Can, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, so I, um, so I said, okay, well, I'm going to fly to China and diligence you because I'm like not believing this. I don't believe that this is like, this is like completely dumbfounding me. So I, we got on an airplane, we flew to China, you know, I you land in China and they just, uh, like, I remember we got off the airplane, they're like, we're going to go take you to, to, to like the spiciest Szechuan place in all of China. And I've been like on an airplane for like 18 hours. I was so ill. I was like, oh, great. And they just started feeding me very exotic, Chinese food. <laughs> and, and I remember being this like fancy what, what restaurant. Was what was the craziest? What was the craziest? Yeah, the craziest one was within this fancy table, and um, they and they and they bring out this dish, and it's a pancake turtle, a whole turtle that they and including the shell, and they chop it into four pieces, and you eat like the feet, and the lucky one gets the head. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and so like, and then I, I see their, I see their, um, you know, I see their, uh, office and then like we close the deal while we're there and like we, the wire, the funds and look at the account, we got it. And, and then like at, later they told me that they were just like messing with me and feeding us all sorts of ridiculous Chinese food just because they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Did you, did you end up getting the head of the turtle? Uh, yeah, my brother got the head. <laughs> he got, That's uh, amazing. That's I was like, amazing. Gotta eat it. You gotta eat it. 
<laughs> oh my! I mean, obviously you gotta eat it. You gotta get those funds in. So, oh, yeah. uh, so really cool. And I know. So once you got this, and you know, obviously you you guys were up and running and and really executing. There was a really big uh, breakthrough for you guys in terms of like how you were approaching and and looking at deals, and that involved the World Trade Center. So tell us about that experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. The essence of like of starting a company is making mistakes. Like that's just there's no innovation without like failure. And so we made all these mistakes and essentially it's almost like we got to the right answer through process of elimination. Like Winston Churchill has this saying that like, um, democracy is the worst, uh, form of government except for all the rest. And so we, we sort of like, so what we, what we initially thought is that, that, that the customer wanted like really exciting projects. I, my real estate bias was like, Oh, let's go get like the most like, impactful, incredible real estate deals that transform neighborhoods and change like the way people live. And so we, so we, on our boards, uh, the, the, the family owns the world trade center. And, um, and so they got me like, uh, uh, they were building world trade center and got me like a piece of the, of the deal. Uh, and it was, you know, a huge multi-billion dollar, um, um, fundraise at that moment and the investment bank running it, which is the biggest, the most, you know, most successful investment bank. Everybody knows who they are. Uh, most maybe infamous, if you will, and they they when they found that I had a piece of the deal, they immediately cut me out of it. Like, and they I kept getting back in the deal. They kept cutting me out of it, and they and and um and then um so I ended up having a, 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 a we're so lucky this this family office that's also a multi billion dollar family office twenty five billion dollar family office bought it for me, and then sold it to me at par because the, the the investment bank wouldn't let us in the deal. And, and like, uh, I thought that they might actually like try to like litigate it so that we wouldn't, cause basically if you think about it, they're selling to their customers, this exclusive access to the world trade center, which is like the most, you know, probably the most famous real estate project in the, in the country, if not the world. And you can get the exact same product on the internet, right. With yeah. no commissions. So they did, they did not like that. And they, and so we were able to sort of like figure it out. We put it on the website. It took like, you know, so hard to pull off. It was just like incredible undertaking. We launch it, we get all this press and it's the, turns out to be the worst selling product on our website. Wow. Right. Because all the other products are these boring, safe, high yield real estate deals, like a high yield multifamily, like 10, 12, 14%. And, um, and this is like a tax-free five and a quarter percent. And the investors are like, well, I, you know, World Trade Center, super safe, five and a quarter. I'll just buy the 12 percent return. And we came away slowly but surely. We realized that we had to build a product around really around the returns and the simplicity and that sort of the real estate, even though I thought it was really interesting, the customer was much less. It's just, it just what the customer wanted. That sort of the idea of building a product for the customer, not for me, um, was. A, it took me years to sort of unlearn all my real estate and finance bias, and and sort of have learn a, a product mentality of 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 empathizing to the customer, building for the customer, and not even caring about what I want or what you know is gratifying from a press point of view. I mean, in some ways, like the press. Everything the press was excited about was like the least successful product 
And the more the product became like successful and boring, the less the press they cared and the more we scaled. That's unbelievable. And I think that one of the other perhaps interesting areas here is that you guys were literally innovating in, in creating a, a completely new thing that, that haven't existed before. I mean, I even remember, I mean, you and I, we testified together at the U.S. House of Representatives when they wanted to learn about how you were pulling in money from from non-accredits and how all this Jobs Act, you know, was going to impact. And obviously I was more on connecting startups with investors, which is um, a completely different uh, angle here. But but here, you know, not only you are uh, building and scaling a company, which is obviously um, a challenge of its own, but then also, you know, dealing with, with, with perhaps the regulatory landscape that is opening up. So how was that, you know, for you guys? Yeah, that's, that's true. It's, it's, Probably the biggest advantage of being based in Washington, D.C., that's where our company's based, is that we're, we're you know, understanding the regulator, being close to the regulator. Um, the SEC is just is absolutely integral to our business. I mean, our, our business is basically product or technology, you know, real estate finance and regulatory. And just the amount of regulatory, I have, you know, in-house, like multiple in-house securities councils. And uh, our, our first deal actually was down the street from the SEC headquarters. And when we first went in there, we, I, I hired the former head of um, the corporate finance division of the SEC, which is basically all the all of the public companies, this is the company, this is the department that regulates them. And he took me in there and we're gonna raise like $350,000 from on the internet for like from, you know, at $100 a share. And the SEC like thought that was, and they and they knew the the building was down the street became like a building that they go and have lunch at and so it was uh it was like uh the fact that it was so tactile to them it changed i think their their kind of view of it and it, it sort of i think opened up their their willingness to like let us do something that they thought was like crazy i mean we spent $150,000 on securities attorneys to raise $350,000 you know to do the first deal so it's, it's always been you know, understanding like so the Byzantine regulatory system and the kind of like matching that to the product technology needs and the and the real estate is this is a puzzle, a constant puzzle. A hundred percent. I mean, I I remember when when you and I were were there. I got a I got a question from from these guys that I'm never gonna forget. You know, I think they asked me, "Do you think the SEC is doing a good job?" <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I don't know if I want to take that question, but anyhow, you know, that's definitely something that I'll tell my my grandchildren about. So, so just saying for the people that are listening to get an idea on how big Fundrise is today. I mean, anything that you can tell us about, you know, maybe number of employees or or anything else? Yeah, it's actually so we really started scaling in the last like 24 months. We we are in terms of fundraising, amount of money we deploy in a single year, we're like maybe the today like the 45th largest real estate private equity fund in the world um and i think next year will be top 25 and the year after that i think will be top 10 so we're so we're the amount of money we deploy and the, and the scale of it is like starting to become i mean it's institutional scale and so that's and inst when institutions find that out they just completely they still can't believe it um and we have yeah we have like 130 people we have like uh you know uh, we currently have four billion dollars of real estate, but we're doubling every year. So wow. you know, so we'll, we'll we'll buy next year, twenty twenty one, like about 
about you know, three or four billion dollars of real estate in a single year, um, and that's what that's what I mean by the scale we're operating is is uh, absolutely institutional scale, and that's I, I have to say from the people now actually people started reconnecting me to that law firm who told me that why would you bother the little guy, and and they're and and they're like. Now they're like, oh, we should help you with your uh, securities filing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that always happens, no? I think that especially when you're making, you know, noise and doing good things, you know, is when when oh, oh, not only the people that perhaps rejected you really, you know, like want to work with you, but then also you have the larger players being like very worried and and trying to put you out of business. And there's a story here that that was quite interesting that happened where you had this billionaire, you know, telling you something. So what, what was that story about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what happens is like, is, uh, I mean, this is a, a dynamic. Anytime you have to build a company, right. It's at first you, you're sort of below the radar and nobody cares about you. And then you sort of, I mean, as we, as we started raising hundreds of millions or, or, and next year, I think we'll be raising a billion plus a year. Um, all these big players start wanting to like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, and we said, you know, all, pick the top 10 or 20 institutions you've heard of and they meet with us and they say like, here, we'll, we'll help you out. And we'll just like take this capital off your hand and, and, you know, you, you know, trust us, we're a big institution. We'll, we'll do right by your customer. And um, so I met with one of them uh, who, who, who was, uh, I think at that time they were the third biggest real estate asset manager in the world. It was in New York, you know, he's, he's, the guy's got that like, you know that you know those suits where where they have the blue button down with a white collar, and, <laughs> oh and, my the, God. and the gold, huge huge gold cufflinks, and um, and he's like very New York. He's telling me that I should just give up and hand it over to him, and that he was gonna if we don't do that, he would. He literally said he would destroy us and crush us if we didn't do that. And uh, I remember looking at me like, is "This real? Like, is this actually happening?" Uh, this billionaire like player, he's he's a billionaire, was tell us he was gonna destroy us if we didn't like just like really hand over the company to him. Um so uh wow. you know it's uh yeah well, that's a, ridiculous. That, that's ridiculous. I mean what 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 was I mean how did you come out of that meeting? I mean what what were the thoughts? I, I mean what happened it, 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 it versions of that I mean usually the institution is way more genteel about it. And so, but that message has been delivered to us now. It's now happened to me enough times where now I'm like, oh, this is a good sign. Like that, like as we transition from being like, oh, like that's like, a, like blogs or social, like you look at blogs. Like, did anybody think that a blog would put newspapers out of business? I mean, newspapers were the, were the most powerful monopoly in media for like hundred years. And then they're now they're basically all bankrupt because of a blog. Right. So like the financial industry, like is tra now transitioning from like, this was silly to wait a second, like what's happening here. And so I, over time, like I've started like, I mean, like, I, they're so bad at technology. The big companies are just absolutely atrocious at it. It started making me more, comfortable competing with them because they just they just don't get technology at all it's so fundamentally different to how they're how they think the world works that they um they are actually not our threat is like something else probably not not like you know some big company copying us yeah and i there's one story you know here as we're thinking about deals and perhaps 
things going, you know, south. You know, there was a, something that happened with a building that involved stealing money. So, so <laughs> yeah. what, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, so so we are fiduciary to our investors. We have like, uh, you know, I, I I've been in real estate now twenty years, so I'm very very skeptical of the real estate players. Like they, you know, um, you end up pretty cynical about them. And so as we invested with them, I I was always worried that some one of them might pull some shenanigans. And um, and so yeah, you know, after maybe a two hundred deals, lo and behold, one of the one of the real estate company we put, we invested like a mezzanine debt into an apartment building that got built. And then they sold the building and gave the title company, well, I learned later, gave the title company fake documents and stole like millions of dollars. And I remember getting the phone call being like, what, where'd the money go? And having like my heart like drop into my stomach. And then like, you know, immediately just, I mean, dropping a, 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 a bomb on them with litigation and they were like, you know, the thing is that they un- everybody underestimates us, which is actually a gift. At first, you think that's a problem. Being underestimated is a, tr- a really good strategy. So that you know, ultimately, that you know, they're they're a real estate player, but we're billions of dollars. So we crushed them. We absolutely and they they and they gave us all the money back plus a maybe a I don't remember now ten percent return or something annual return. So we so and and being able to. Um, have that power, that hammer is is part of actually how you make money in real estate. But it was like for for like a couple months, it was so. I mean, I have ulcers from that experience. <laughs> wow, I mean, I can't imagine. That sounds definitely stressful. So, so Ben, obviously, this uh, this journey, you know, has been remarkable. I mean, you've been at it now for more than a decade. Uh, and you've had your ups, you've had your downs, you know, your successes, your your learnings, you know, all in between. And I'm sure that, you know, if you had that opportunity maybe of, of going back and, and having a chat with that younger Ben, maybe that younger Ben that was seeing things blowing up back in 2008 and thinking about perhaps a better way of, of doing this. If you had that that ear of that younger Ben to, to give one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why that you would give to yourself knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's such a tough question. It's so, it's such a, it sounds like an easy answer. Uh, I, when I, when I look back at myself and, and it's like, one of the things you learn as a person and also as a manager is people's strengths are usually the source of their weaknesses. Somebody might be really good at something technical, but then they get lost in the weeds, right? So. Somebody's super creative, then they're not organized. And so I, w- I basically came out of like watching like 2008 financial crisis. I went through the 2001 financial crisis with 9-11 and, and, uh, and tech bubble blowing up. I, I, you know, I was pretty close to the, the financial crisis in 1992. So I was obsessed from, from 2008 on about preparing for the next financial crisis. And it put like a governor, like a restrictor on our growth because I was like, you know, so worried about the protecting on that sort of that crisis, which, you know, as it turned out, right, in March 2020, it happened, right? Like, it happened again. Uh, and so we were basically, we with the advice to myself w- would have been, you know, be more aggressive about your macro. Your macro is right. Like, you're, you're like, I'm like a paranoid person, uh, high, high anxiety, you know, and so I, and so I basically, like, I think a lot of times have a lot of, like, I self-doubt or question myself. Is that right? How do I know that's right? 
And I think I could have been way more aggressive about, about like the, really what we're doing and taking more risk, hire more people, spend more money, lean in more. Um, and that, that like what is, and so that the learning is like, you gotta be aggressive on the macro, but still be hyper realistic and, and like maybe even cynical on the micro on the execution, the execution needs to be hyper realistic, but the vision and the macro and the, the big, the big things need to be extremely like aggressively optimistic and I almost idealistic. I love it. I love it, Ben. And for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, I mean, I, I love Twitter. I'm Ben Millerize, you know, at Ben Millerize. Um, you can also grab me on LinkedIn. So, uh, yeah, this is a great conversation. Uh, Amazing. Right. Well, well, well Ben, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.